Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and grateful to have you with me today for another amazing episode. Is it possible to be attracted to the same sex, faithful to the church's teachings on sexual morality, and happy at the same time? Well, the answer is yes, even if that surprises you. I am joined today by Avera Maria Santo, a speaker who openly shares about her journey as a faithful Catholic who is attracted to other women. In today's episode, Avera's story and experiences take center stage. We talk about when she started becoming aware of these feelings, how she started talking about them with others, what she has found helpful by the church, what she has not found helpful, and how she ministers to other young people with this issue. We also talk a little bit about the role of counseling in this process. And hint, it's not about conversion therapy. So when the show is done, please find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa to ask any lingering questions you may have about today's topic or other topics in previous episodes of the show. But let's get into this episode with Avera Maria Santo. Good morning, Avera Maria Santo. Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I appreciate I'm sure, it. <laughs> I'm in my my box of a room right now in uh, in quarantine. So you know, just doing doing whatever I can. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I am too. And I, I guess I need to forewarn the listeners right now that uh, I I am at home. This is my very first interview doing at home in quarantine. Really? Yes. Nice. Yes. It's so, and there, there's four boys just on the other side of this very thin wall, <laughs> and they're trying their best to be really quiet. Uh, but I don't think that's going to last for the whole hour. So if hey. there are children screaming in the background <laughs> of the podcast, then uh, you know what. Uh, it, it's family life and love me. What yeah. can I say? <laughs> <laughs> my sister, I, I remember like my, I have a, I have a 17 year old sister and uh-huh. she is, she is reading the Harry Potter series right now. Mm. And there was a Harry Potter movie marathon on yesterday. I don't know if it continued into today, but she gets very animated with her books and her movies. Um, and I just remember she was like screaming about all the discrepancies that the movies missed yes. <laughs> yes. from the book. And she was so upset yesterday. I would just hear her just be like, no, that wasn't in the book. That's so wrong. Like, why do they do that? <laughs> like all this different stuff. I think it's hilarious. But like, if y'all hear that, yeah, that's, that's what is in the background. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> well, I'll have to have her on the show for another episode to go through all of that because I, I'm a Harry oh, Potter fan. I'll put that out there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I can share the play, you know, of the discrepancies between the yeah. books and the movies. So, <laughs> so we're all good there. We're all good there. Yes. Okay. Well, awesome. So if, if noise comes in the background, listeners, just, uh, you know, just kind of deal with us. We're, we're, we're doing the best that we can given the circumstances. So again, just obviously pray for our country. We pray for our communities. Um, grateful to be able to have conversations like this still and recognizing that there, there are other things that we still need to be thinking about and other topics that still need to be discussed beyond just washing our hands for 20 seconds and, and keeping up with yeah. the latest news about coronavirus, which of course is, is significant right now. But shifting gears here, you know, Avera, you, you are, are making the rounds and uh, I guess your journey, <laughs> your story has, has, has been kind of public and you've been very open and sharing um, your journey 
Mm-hmm. So just first and foremost, thank you for your vulnerability in that and, and mm-hmm. your willingness to allow other people to, uh, to, to learn from your experiences and your journey. And so if you can, by way of introduction, just kind of share with, with my audience, um, yeah, just kind of elements of, of your journey with, with uh, same-sex attraction and, and, and homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you said, my name is, my name is Vera Marie Santo. Um, I'm 23 years old currently. So I graduated high school um, in 2015, actually not far from you. Um, I'm two hours away in, uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And, um, you know, I grew up in a predominantly Catholic family, went to Catholic school, pre-K all the way through 12th grade. So funny, my window's open and one of the teachers lives right up the street from me and I just saw her come home. But, uh, (laughs) and, um, you know, uh, like I said, grew up kind of surrounded by my faith and, um, you know, but, but it wasn't something that became, very important to me. You know, it wasn't something where I took it very seriously until I was around the age of 16. Um, when I went to a conference at like an Archdiocesan Catholic youth conference, yeah, (laughs) to uh, absolutely, you know, solely to get out of a, a, a soccer tournament that I did not feel like playing in because my lung had collapsed in that same tournament two years before. So I was, I was like, I'm not about it. Like I'm not going. (laughs) So I snuck off and I went to this conference at this lavish hotel in Perdido beach. And, um, was not at all expecting what I found there. You know, again, I thought I was going to hear a couple talks about Jesus and meet, you know, a couple people. Maybe there would be some good looking guys there that I could distract myself with. But ultimately, um, you know, God got a hold of me in a way where he presented himself and he made himself not only available to me in my life, um, but he made himself uh, he made himself tangibly present, you know, where he kind of started peeling away or breaking, really not even peeling, but breaking down some of the walls that I had built up myself, you know, because I didn't want anybody coming too close because I didn't want them realizing the things that I had worked so hard to hide and uh, same sex attraction being one of them. You know, this wasn't something that I ever heard talked about in a Catholic setting, you know, I never really heard about it in school, never heard about it in some of these like bigger conferences. So I thought because of the lack of information on the subject, that it was just that terrible. In the same way where it's not exactly, you know, equivocal, I guess, situation, but um, in the same way that, you know, whenever we go over history, um, the fact that slavery in its entirety and in at its gravest form isn't talked about <laughs> really in, in, in any of our history classes, unless you go to like a really, a, a really good school. Um, the fact that it wasn't talked about really to a certain extent made me think that it was just that bad. You know, like we couldn't even discuss it because really our our young minds couldn't handle it, (laughs) you know, and me being 16, 17, 18 years old, going through this and seemingly going through this by myself, you know, wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, right? Wanting to have a relationship with this, this higher power, not wanting to think that he was so far off from me because of something that I'd done or because of, you know, the same sex attraction, which 
was not my choice. You know, I did not wake up one morning and decide to experience same-sex attraction. That I did not ask to be gay. <laughs> you know, like right. that wasn't ever something that came up in my prayers. Yeah, I prayed for many things. That was not one of them. Um, so I really thought I was being punished. And I felt terrible. You know, I was so horrified. I was so afraid. And the last thing that I ever wanted was for anybody to find out. You know, and I remember growing in my faith and kind of getting this, um, kind of getting this rep as like the Jesus freak, right? And I remember my mom going to one of those conferences with me and she said, you know, I can see you doing that one day. Mm, you know, I beautiful. think Katie Prejean was, was uh, Prejean McGrady now was giving a, a talk back then. And she was like, I can see you doing what Katie does. And I was like, I think I could too. In my heart though, I was like, but I'm never talking about same sex attraction, which is now the sole thing that I talk about, <laughs> you know, most often. Uh, it's funny how God, how God works in that way and how his providence uh, works out. But well, let you me, know, let me, let me say a couple of things here. I appreciate your, your honesty, just with the, huh. the, the struggle here in terms of one, acknowledging that this isn't a choice that you made, <laughs> that, that this exactly. isn't something that you sought after or that, you know, you were looking for, that it, it emerged. And I think that that needs to be said, right? Just right out of the yeah. gates is an, an acknowledgement that not everybody necessarily chooses this this is and then most people don't like it comes to them and, it, and whether that means they're born this way or whatever i don't you know i don't know but it's there what can i say yeah, you know in my absolutely. experience counseling individuals who are gay or lesbian like it's there and, and so what do we do with it right and i think that so far the silence of the church in in, in it's catching up and, and so this mm-hmm. so i'm grateful for for your story and you, your bravery being out there as well to kind of give some different context of conversation with this but the silence has allowed room for another narrative to be spun. Mm, and, and this yeah. other narrative now is then that the church doesn't care about you. Christ doesn't care about you because you're gay or lesbian. And mm-hmm. therefore we do. And so you have to look this way. And mm-hmm. now we're kind of caught in a real, for lack of a better word, a bind or a pickle here in terms mm-hmm. of saying like, we've missed the boat in, in, in how to have this conversation in a way that's, that's, that's more productive than, than, mm-hmm. than what is being offered currently. Um, Absolutely. so what, Absolutely. just, 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 you know, because we can't, we, <laughs> I'm not ready to just dive in. I mean, because we can't on one hand say, you know, just self-indulge, do whatever everything you want, you know, right. that we know that that type of sexual liberation, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, doesn't lead to personal fulfillment and happiness. Chastity is still what's required. But then yeah, at the same time, they would have by now. I mean, at the rate that we're indulging in our culture, if that kind of quote unquote sexual liberation actually liberated us, it would have by now. That's right. The fact that it hasn't speaks to it. Exactly. We're, we're 50 years into this experiment now, you know, so, right. so yeah, we, we, now we're seeing generations of people who have poor mental health and, and all sorts of standards and their problems. Of course there are. Um, so that isn't the answer, but then the, 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 the repressive keep it quiet answer isn't sufficient either, you know, or to just say that then you have to pretend to be straight or you have to look a certain way in that regard as well. And, and that's not sufficient either. And so this mm-hmm. is this is kind of the tension that it comes to even just talking about it, because as soon as you start talking about it, you're going to have people on one side who are going to say, well, unless you go all the way towards, um, f- you know, free license of everything, 
you're like, it's not enough for me. Or if you go to the other way, we say, well, we can't even talk about it or whatever, the conservative route, it's like, well, you know, we can't talk about it. So finding this kind of middle way is, is very challenging and it just yes. raises so much fear for people. So mm-hmm. as you've been out kind of speaking and, and talking to groups, what has been your experience um, so far just kind of in these kind of <clears throat> cultural wars, so to speak? Yeah, I think that... You know, it, it's so interesting. I, I speak to, and you know, that that is something that I do, and not just self promo, but I do go to conferences, parishes, and all of that, and I'll give you that information for the show notes. But um, you know, one of the things that I think is fascinating is when I speak to, um, when I speak to high school and college, well, more, more so high school students, um, they are very confused. You know, <laughs> you know, I went to a, I went to a school when I was in the Louisiana area this past weekend or I, I actually a week ago now. And I think that they were just so shocked. <laughs> they were so shocked that like somebody is coming in. And I think like to, I, I was hearing about some rumors that were spreading around the school. Like, you know, there's like this lesbian coming to talk to us. Like, I don't exactly know like what she's going to be talking about. And like, they kept spreading around like all these things all because they misunderstood my message. You know, they had really, or most of them had no concept of the fact that I can be celibate, chaste, and happy about it. <laughs> you know, like that, that is so foreign to so many of us. And it is not just high school age kids, but I think that, you know, that generation, it kind of gets the worst of it, you know, because there's so much in the media, there's so much in our entertainment and our movies and our TV shows, you know, with Disney plus being so big, like the fairy tale endings, like all of these different things, like the one, the soulmate. Like, I don't care, like, if, if I, and one girl was like, but let's say, like, you fall in love with this woman, like, you fall madly in love in 30 years, and you want to drop all of this, like, what are you going to do? Like, or, or like, what are you going to say? Like, are you just going to, like, deny yourself loving somebody, you know, because, you know, you put on, you started doing, you know, this, this thing or with speaking and whatnot. And you know, my kind of response to all of that is like, listen, not only does the one not exist, <laughs> in my opinion, you know, the, the one, there's no such thing as a soulmate, scratch that, there is such thing as a soulmate, but your soulmate created you for himself. You know, our soulmate is Christ, is the author, is the creator of our souls, and he created our souls for himself. There is no person in, that is going to uh, you know, complete me or, you know, like be my other half, because again, like I am not half, (laughs) you know, there is not something in me that is missing that can only be completed. If I somehow find um, amongst the sea of these 7 billion people (laughs) that exist in the world that is going to complete me, you know, God didn't create me as a half person or as a half complete person, I am a whole person who might, you know, in some capacity, find another whole person to journey through life with, you know, however, again, like God created us for a purpose. He created us for complementarity, 
you know, and two like things cannot come together and make something that is different, you know, like, and so two men or two women cannot come together and unify the two purposes of marriage essentially are procreation and the union of the spouses. Two men cannot unify. And I don't care how long they engage in a sexual act. Neither one of them is going to get pregnant. You know, in the same way, two women can engage in a sexual act all day long and never get pregnant. That's why I think in our, in our very souls, we know that that action cannot be fruitful because it wasn't, we're not using it in the way that it was designed. And if you use something out of context, you know, you're never going to get the desired results. You know, you are never going to get that, you know, in that way. So let me, so, let me, let me, let me stop you here for a second. Um, you know, you, cause you're saying so many, so many good things here. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit on the soulmate thing. I know that's kind of making the rounds, you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been happily married for 17 years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. well, for most of those 17 years, I could say certainly, you know, like, <laughs> you know, let's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's a, they can't see us. It's not an audio, it's not a video podcast, but, but since mm-hmm. I'm at home and right behind me is pictures of my wedding day. And, uh, and Kristen and I, we've been, we've been married for, for a while and, and I like to think of her as my soulmate, to be sincere. I like to think of her as as somebody who doesn't complete me, but that's somebody who intimately shares this journey of life with me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't yes. think that I'm whole and I don't think that she's whole. And and I think actually that that's part of the vulnerability of life is an acknowledgement that we are incomplete and that that incompleteness isn't. And this is this is where I do agree with you that that incompleteness isn't going to be fully satiated by another person. That incompleteness is only fully satiated by Jesus himself. And if God brings a spouse into your life to aid in that process, to be a sacramental presence of his love in that process, then praise him for that. But that doesn't mean then that if you're single, like I have plenty of friends who are in their late thirties who are still single women and looking for their spouses. That doesn't mean that their life is incomplete because, because they don't have a spouse. That means that they're doing what they can with the circumstances that are before them. And I think that that's a very different message here is to say that you can have happiness in singlehood, but that doesn't mean it's going to be hard, but that even marriage isn't, isn't idyllic in the sense that like there are still challenges that present themselves in circumstances that are beyond our control. I don't care who you are or how rich you are or where you live. I mean, look at the coronavirus thing. I mean, that's, that's taught us more than anything else, like how vulnerable we are evil we are absolutely you know and so acknowledging that should be a call for conversion not for a call for fear um Mm -hmm. and 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 so i think even to say to yourself honestly like i would say if somebody asked me that question you know if i was in your shoes you know i'm Mm -hmm. I'm 39 so i'm a couple years older than you there i Mm -hmm. honestly i would say you know now at this stage you don't know. You deal with it when it comes. You you may yeah. fall in love with a girl, you know? And you know what? Then you have to deal with that when it happens. Like you have to yeah. kind of you, have to, deal with it, you, you know? have to reckon, but you can't plan your life on all these different hypotheticals, you know, of what can or couldn't happen or what should or right. shouldn't happen. You have to you have to deal with reality as it is. So, you know. You have to deal with it as it comes, you know, and like I said, like exactly like you said, I have no idea what's going to happen to me in 30 years. I have no idea what's going to happen to me tomorrow. Um, But in responding to the girl that asked me that, that high school age girl who asked me that, um, my feelings for that woman could 
be almost completely overwhelming, you know, can be so strong and so real and so tangible. Um, however, you know, again, in, in our culture, we don't have really a concept of what it means to deny ourselves yes. and what it means yes. to suffer. And I don't care how I feel. I don't care how she feels. What What is true, you know, what is ultimately true in that is that I can deny myself something good here for what I know is waiting for me in the end. You know, like there's something far greater than any lesser love that I could experience here on earth, right? Like there is heaven, there is eternity waiting for me. And whatever I have to deny myself of here, you know, essentially, you know, that is what purgatory is, is purging us, releasing us from all the attachments that we had on earth. Because the only thing that we should be attached to in heaven is God himself. So if there's anything that we are attached to on earth, that's what purgatory is ridding us of. And we can experience part of that purgatory here on earth. If that requires me to feel some this sort of detachment from whoever it is, you know, 30 years from now or tomorrow on earth, I'm will I'm willing to give that up. You know, I, at least I, I would hope I, and I would hope I would be willing 30 years from now to give that up. You know, again, like we have no concept of being able to deny ourselves right in, in this lifetime. And we're going to have to get used to that because there's going to be plenty of that and plenty of call for that. And what a beautiful thing that we're discussing this in the Lenten season, right? When we're called to be actively denying ourselves in order to recall in our hearts and our minds the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And we're able to enter into that mystery by denying ourselves of the pleasures uh, that we have on earth. And they do not have to be a bad thing. You know, that's the, that's the beautiful part of the sacrifice is that we are denying ourselves of something good in order to prepare ourselves for something better. Amen. You know? Amen. Averin, let me ask you, just how has your coming out journey been for you? How, how has the whole process been over the last few years? Man, you know, it, it has, a, it, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, you know call it like a, a coming out. Well, I guess it is, you know, a coming out process where, you know, it's just a daily thing, you know, where, you know, some person will, will find out or, you know, some person will say this or some person will say that some person will ask me this another will ask me that, you know, and, um, I, you know, I have a very unique experience where God has, for whatever reason, called me to this active ministry where I share this very vulnerable part of my experience. You know, I don't, my problem with essentially like coming out culture is that, you know, it's not everybody's business. Yeah, that's that's yes, true. Yeah, that's true. It's yes. Not yes. everybody's business. <laughs> I, you know, like there are I'm, some things that we could just kind of keep personal, you know, like not everybody <laughs> needs to know everything about me. It's, it's fine. <laughs> on a billboard, you know, <laughs> and like if I wasn't in active ministry, just talking specifically about this, you know, it's not that I'm ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not that I'm ashamed of it. It's just that, again, like, I don't want everybody to have the ability to comment on something, again, like a, a very personal experience. You know, again, it is not that it is, it is bad or that I am bad in any way. It's just that 
again, not, not everybody needs to know, <laughs> you know, this part of me, like I put all my business out in the street for ministry purposes, <laughs> you know? So it, it's just not something where I would enjoy having everybody commentate, especially because with something like a topic such as this, um, you know, I, one of the things that I have had to undergo because of my very public ministry is people who oppose, you know, just kind of my lifestyle in general, being upset with me, you know, like I will get like messages. I remember one of my articles went viral a couple years ago and, uh, or maybe last year and some, some lady who I had never met, she was maybe, 20, 30 years older than me kept commenting on Twitter that she wanted me arrested for a hate speech, yeah. <laughs> like something like that, like all these different things. Like, you know, it makes or sharing something so vulnerable, um, really makes you susceptible to everybody in their mama's comments, right. you know? And I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody who was not willing, like re- not necessarily ready and willing, but you know, if, if God calls them to that, but whoever was not willing to kind of have, have to deal with that, you know, have to deal with the very necessary side effects of sharing something so vulnerable at such a wide scale. Again, if I wasn't in active ministry, I would have probably only told my family, you know, some members of my family and then close friends who I could have as accountability partners who can know the intimate experiences of my everyday life. But, you know, if I were to take it off, I can have to do it over. I couldn't tell everybody. (laughs) Well, how do you handle those comments? I mean, I've seen a couple of your talks online and. And I, and I look at through the comments because I really want to know what people are thinking about your story mm-hmm. and you get the range. You get people who do say, you know, bless your courage and, and for coming out. But then you have others that are just that, that they say that, you know, you have nothing to apologize for, um, embrace right. it. And, and then you have others that go the other, even the further extreme, like you talked about where they said this is hate speech because it's not far enough uh, in, in, mm-hmm. and that type of antagonism just Knowing yeah. that this is a vulnerable part of you, how how do you respond? And just internally, how do you feel about kind of this wide range of comments about your experience? You know, I I try not to take it very personally, especially because most of these people either advocating for me or against me um, don't know me personally. Correct. <laughs> you know, just like, so it, ultimately I will, my only job really job, quote unquote job in the ministry aspect is to sow seeds, right? You know, and to share my story. It, it, essentially, I'm not even the main character in my story. You know, the main character is Christ Jesus, right? Who came into my story, who, you know, the the incarnation touched me in a very vulnerable place, in the place where I felt like I couldn't even go, right? In this place where, um, you know, I'm I feel like so wounded at times because it, it was such an embarrassing thing for me at first. And I've definitely grown from that um, all because of Christ's presence in this very aspect of my life, in this place where I felt like I couldn't even love myself. So, so I know that and I, I've been touched there and I've known Christ in that aspect of my life. However, I can't expect everybody else to have that same experience because really nobody else has experienced God in that way like I have. So the way that people 
engage with this particular story, the way that people engage with this particular narrative, I have no control over that. You know, that is essentially them bringing to the table, sitting across the table from my testimony, from me, and bringing with them their own experiences, bringing with them their own knowledge or lack thereof of who God is. Um, So the way that they respond is ultimately how they hear my story or how they hear the story and then everything that they're bringing to the table with them in order to engage. So. I have very little control over how they receive the story. Um, But ultimately, again, you know, my goal in a sense is not necessarily conversion or not necessarily I want you to see Christ in this way because, again, I, I can't do that. You know, I am a feeble human being. I have I don't have that kind of power, but the Holy Spirit absolutely does. You know, so my only job in a sense is to plant seeds and to let the Holy Spirit act as only he knows how, as only he can. But again, there are certain things that I can do that he can't because I have a voice, you know, that people can hear. I have a a human tangible story that the Holy Spirit does not have. So we work together in a sense, in that, and it's so powerful and it's so beautiful. Um, But again, the way that a person receives the story you know, I can't always have a very powerful impact on that. They have to bring to the table what they already have. And I have to bring to the table what I already have. And there's nothing that we can really create from nothing. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Mari Sacasa, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Avera Maria Santo to invite you to check out the Theology of the Body virtual conference. On May 8th through the 10th, the Theology of the Body Institute will be hosting a massive virtual conference with something like over 70 speakers giving 20 to 30 minute presentations on a whole array of topics related to the Theology of the Body. At the time of this recording, I believe there's something like 20,000 people already registered for the conference, which is just nuts. So I'm grateful to say that I'm one of those 70 presenters who will be speaking over the weekend. My presentation is entitled Choose Hope how to wrestle with desire, fear, and God's providence. I address many of the themes that we touch on on this show, but give it, you know, a little bit of a TOB flair. Registration is free. The conference videos are free for that weekend, but are available for purchase so that you can watch them afterward. If you're interested in purchasing the conference, which also gives you access to some premium content over the course of that weekend, please use the affiliate link that I have in the show notes below. The affiliate link helps you to be able to support uh, the show here and what we're doing with Willwood's Faith and Marriage. And so the registration fee will be split between the Theology of the Body Institute and us here at Willwood's Faith and Marriage. So check out the link on the show notes below or not, just check out the conference itself. And if you enjoyed the lecture and some of the others that will be offered that weekend, please find me on Facebook, Instagram, and we'll have a delightful conversation about it. So, you know, part of your story, let me ask you, you know, as we're kind of going through this, that language is a big part of this conversation. And in one of the areas that I find kind of tension, even in the church has been like, well, we don't even know what to call the, these group of individuals. Do we, do we say Mm -hmm. that they're Catholic, uh, lesbian, gay individuals, uh, or Mm -hmm. do we say that they're individuals with the, experience a same sex attraction, you know? And, and Mm -hmm. I guess maybe we're splitting hairs and getting into semantics, (laughs) 
But, you know, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on this where on one hand, it's like, okay, I get that we can't reduce a group to their sexual behaviors or their attractions. But I don't know if we're just suddenly reducing a person by just having a, a clear label for them either. I mean, it can, it can be reductionistic for certain, but it isn't always. I mean, I'm Hispanic, um, mm-hmm. you know, are you African-American? Uh, these, mm-hmm. are, these, are, these are labels that we do use that sometimes we have to have some clarity for the purposes of distinction, not for the purposes mm-hmm. of reduction. Does that make sense? Right. So it wh- does. what do you think about yeah. all of that? I guess I'm, I'm just asking because I don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I, I hear, I hear arguments on both sides. And, and to be honest, yeah. a person experiencing a same-sex attraction just is a mouthful. I'm going to be honest. Like, yeah. it's just, <laughs> it, it is. you know, but if that's the right way of saying it, then I guess that's what has to be said. But it just, it's, it's just a mouthful. You know, I just think that there's, I don't know. What, what do you it think? Very much so. So, and like I said, I've heard very convincing arguments on both sides, you know, um, my personal opinion, and again, this could develop just depending on the conversations I have with different people that I really trust, or, you know, just as time goes on, when we start recognizing different things that the Holy Spirit moves us in a certain direction, um, one of the things that pulls me away from using those labels is that, you know, like you said, you're Hispanic, I'm African-American, I, like these kinds of things. Those can be used as like cultural identifiers, mm-hmm. you know. However, I don't necessarily see, at least in our culture right now, the terms being used with the same amount of weight. Now, so just a perfect example, um, I don't necessarily see, uh, at least at the same scale, people using race or ethnicity in order to define their, their I guess, essence or their nature as human persons. I don't see people necessarily equating the very root of who they are, how they were created, how they were formed, how they were shaped, um, in the same way that we use the terms gay, straight, transgender, those kind of things. I don't see them having the same weight or the same gravity, you know, the same like gravitational pull, mm-hmm. at least in, in our society. So when I call my, when I hear somebody calling me African American or calling me black, it doesn't necessarily have the same implications as it does somebody calling me a lesbian or somebody calling me bisexual. Does that make sense? Yep. So yeah, that's kind of my, my thing with it is in our culture today, I don't see the terms carrying the same weight. So my issue you know, with being called gay or lesbian or whatever you want to call me, is that, again, this this is something where, culturally speaking, we have come to in our society, and it wasn't always like this, right? We only really started identifying personhood by sexual attraction maybe 50 or 60 years ago, you know, around, around the, uh, the era of the, like the Stonewall riots or really, you know, like the 1950s where we often use them in a political setting. So these were mainly used in like legal, ter- these were basically legal terminology. And unfortunately it was often used as a weapon, you know, in order to put people down. And 
while it's not necessarily used in the same context today, I think that in a way it is used to put people down or to narrow them into a box, not, but not necessarily in a way that we are cognizant of. Because again, like we're, we're not necessarily in our, in our minds being uh, condescending in any way. But if you reduce a person to race or you reduce a person to sexual attraction or you reduce a person to even, you know, in our political climate right now, if you reduce a person to political ideology, you are looking at the person through such a narrow lens. You know, that is one aspect of their entire human experience. So in the same way, if we look at ourselves in that way, you know, if we're looking at ourselves in the mirror through that lens, we're also going to look at the world in that lens. We're also going to look at other people in that lens. And it is very easy to fall into this trap, really, again, really without even being cognizant of it. You know, and that is my issue with it, is that it is so dangerous you know, not even dangerous to the fact that, you know, we're reducing each other as human beings and we're not looking at each other as whole people. But, you know, in the same stretch as Christians, especially, we're called to, you know, this loving relationship with other people, with our with our neighbors. And if we miss out on the opportunity to love another human being because we're looking at them through such a narrow lens and we're especially if we're only seeing differences. Right. If you're Hispanic and you see me as black or if you're looking at a white person and you're only looking at them through the lens of your differences, you know, you're missing out on so much of an opportunity to come in contact with another human being and love them as Christ does. You know, which is a very long winded way of saying, you know, I just don't necessarily agree with using those sort of labels because A, of the cultural implications and just B, you know, from my own personal experience, what I have seen um, in regards to those labels being used. And, you know, I'm just I am not a fan yeah. at all. Yeah, I, I respect that. Certainly, you know, but the cultural implications and your mm-hmm. personal story with that, because it, it's it is so charged. And, and even right now, we don't even know. Like even, even that the people who are making those labels they to say it this way, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the labels keep changing also. Exactly. So, so, exactly. so somebody like Ellen DeGeneres, who I'm a fan of her, her work. She, I think she's hilarious. I think she's, she's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I may not agree with everything in her life style choices, but you know, like mm-hmm. I can say that about pretty much any celebrity, you know, that that's, that's in Hollywood, but even yeah. her, she, you know, she, she has shared on her show that like, she gets attacked for quote unquote, not being gay enough, you know, not even knowing mm-hmm. what that means. So like when she brought on Kevin Hart last year and supported him mm-hmm. after the whole Oscars debacle, she got a lot of slack for that. And so again, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, what, what, I think that's the bigger question is like, what's enough. And, yes. and, and, and mm-hmm. when we don't know that, um, it, it, it never, nothing ever becomes enough. And, right. and it causes a lot of confusion. I mean, I think that, that, you know, there's a place where we want, we want people to be open with their experiences. And I think that's what you've been doing. And it's grateful that it's great that you have the opportunity to do that, but you're doing it in a way that, that honors the, the, the reality rather than just saying, this is it, do it happy, you know, do whatever you want. Cause right. I don't know if that, that necessarily means leads to, 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 to fulfillment. Um, we know that there are adolescents, a lot of adolescents experience most adolescents to some degree experience some degree of an attraction um, mm-hmm. But the advice of of 
of society to say, well, go act on that attraction is, is actually awful advice. Because mm-hmm. once you didn't have the sexual experience and the bonding that comes with that, you're only creating more confusion in the heart of the individual. Rather than saying, listen, mm-hmm. just wait it out, kind of keep praying with it, keep assessing it, keep discerning in your heart. And over time, it'll become clear that it may just be a phase. That's okay. It could be a phase. And, and you may be something that you outgrow, and that's all right. Or maybe something that you don't outgrow. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, you're going to have to kind of work with that also. Um, you know, mm-hmm. because, so I think, my, I guess, I, I try to take a, a, a more gentle approach with this mm-hmm. topic. So, because even individuals that come to me, you know, people have asked about conversion therapy, and I know that's a lot of a hot button issue right now. I, honestly, mm-hmm. I'm just not a fan of it. I, I don't, I don't believe that everybody who experiences a homosexual inclination is be, is rooted in some core wound in their past, or that there's some mm-hmm. experience that's that's that they just need to unearth whatever that experience is, and then it's going to magically unlock all your sexual desires and reorient them the appropriate way. I don't, right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it works that way. In, in my in my honest opinion, now it may for some people. So I think mm-hmm. a, a healthier way would be if somebody wants to come in to explore potential reasons for their attractions or ways that they feel that they've been confused and to give space to have conversation about that. I, I think that's okay. a much healthier way of approaching therapy uh, with somebody mm-hmm. who, who, who has this um, than saying that everybody has to kind of go in this one direction. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of, of therapy. I haven't gone in a while and I've actually never gone for the specific reason of my same sex attractions. I would love to, you know, eventually try and, uh, and, and go to someone again, you know, to kind of talk and assess. Um, because I, I think there's right. An important distinction that we need to make as far as uh, there's really two, I guess, types of same-sex attraction that can take root in a person. Those two being deep-seated homosexual tendencies and then transitory homosexual tendencies. So transitory, you know, just kind of self-explanatory where a person could eventually be rid of their same-sex attractions, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever for whatever reason or in whatever capacity, just whether they, again, like it's a phase and they grow out of it or they go through some kind of therapy and it is very helpful for them. And they are eventually rid of these attractions, which we know in the church to be disordered in some capacity. You know, the catechism tells us that now deep seated homosexual tendencies, meaning that the person like it is so deeply ingrained that they may never be rid of them. This is a very real You know, this is a very real circumstance, a very real reality for so many people. And I know so many people who have this deep seated, these deep seated homosexual attractions that live very beautiful, very fruitful lives with this attraction, you know, that they may never get rid of. So it is very possible for it to go either way. You know, it depends on the person. It depends on the circumstances. Now, like you said, a a lot of people are trying to discover, and I think this is a very real conversation that needs to be had in order so that people can eventually experience some healing. You know, I don't know exactly where this conversation is going to end up or, you know, what we'll find. But I think it is important to some degree that, you know, we start asking the big questions like, where does this stem from? You know, like, is there something that we can learn and not necessarily put emotions on the line or not, you know, be 
try and guard other people's emotions or guard, you know, how people feel in a sense, because, you know, when has that ever brought real healing? You know, there's a difference between being compassionate and then taking compassion and just running in the opposite direction with it and trying like it's oxymoron, but overly compassionate. Right. You know, a mis- a misguided compassion. Things. Yeah, yeah. A misguided compassion yes, or being overly absolutely. permissive doesn't lead to freedom either. <laughs> and so I, I yeah, I hear what yeah, you're saying, which absolutely. is that like if we're too quick to put a label on somebody, then we're confining them. And we have to get, but but we have to also acknowledge that some people do have deep-seated attractions that aren't going to go anywhere. And so we can't just say, well, it's all transitory. And if you just go to therapy and and it just kind of goes away. And pray it away. And pray it away. It's just going to happen. And that you don't know that at 16, 17, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't really know that until you're in your twenties where you're just like, oh, okay, well, this hasn't gone anywhere now. Now, now what do I do Mm -hmm. with this? So I guess exactly, you know, and I think that it needs to be like a, a 70, 30 kind of distinction as far as the conversation goes. And as far as like what, where our efforts are placed, you know, I think 70% of our efforts need to be placed on the fact that, okay, this experience is a reality for so many people. Now taking the fact that we know this reality to be a thing, you know, that we know this to be an experience for so many people, what do we do about it now? You know, what are we, how are we walking with people? Not only from like a, a doctor or, or therapy standpoint, but how are we as the laity? How are we as the church? Who are we as, as neighbors, as people who sit three seats down from them at mass? How do we walk with people like Father Josh would say in their walk toward eternity, right? You know, how are we actually ministering to people in a very tangible and a very, you know, like walking with them in their in their lives, you know, like in their day to day and and all of that, you know, it with this experience being a reality for them. And now I think that, you know, it would be beneficial, I think, for many people to kind of direct the other 30 percent of our efforts um, to, you know, finding, you know, again, how is this manifesting? How is it healing? Like, how is it occurring in people? Because I think that while it is it is a very real experience. If there was any way to stop it, at least in some people, you know, that that would be helpful for so many people. Because again, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. I would not wish this experience on my worst enemy. Again, like not saying that it is, that it is this like far off, this horrible thing, but I think it causes suffering to the point where if it could be avoided, you know, if it could be avoided at all costs, I would want people to be spared of it. Now, there is absolutely a way to live a good, holy, chaste life with this experience. But again, like if there was a way to spare people of this cross, I would hope that and I would actively try to make sure that people are spared, um, even if it's just a couple people, you know, like it, it, I think that that. Uh, that pursuit would be worthwhile to some degree at the very least. Amen. Absolutely. So where do we go from here? What, what does looking, moving forward look like for a church and society? I think looking forward is, you know, again, like it, it says 365 times in the Bible, do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid. And this not only goes for the people who experience same-sex attractions, but the people who know somebody who does, the people who love somebody who experiences same-sex attractions, whether they know 
Christ or not, you know, whether they know church teaching or not, um, we know, you know, we as Christians, we know, uh, at, at least, you know, somewhat about God. And we know that He is a good and gracious and loving God. And I think our primary efforts, right, our primary efforts need to be focused not so much on just regurgitating scripture verses saying that homosexuality is not natural or, you know, like this type of thing. What we need to be focused on right here and right now is sharing the gospel message that Christ loves, you know, that Christ loves us as individuals. And he doesn't love in a sense where, you know, he didn't come and die for us as a group. You know, he came and died for all of us as individuals where he would have come and he would have died in the same manner. He would have come and he would have died, given his life, if it was just us to save. Right. If we were the only one, if we were the only ones, if I was the only one, if you, Father Mario, were the only one, he would have come and died and given us this individual focused love. Right. That is what changes lives. That is what makes everything that I follow in the catechism make perfect sense. The entirety of the reason why I follow church teaching, the reason why I know that God loves me, which is why he put these rules in place, is because I know the ruler himself, right? If, if you have rules without relationship, if love doesn't precede law, none of this is going to make any sense. It is essentially going to be like, well, I don't get what this rule means and I don't understand it. So I'm just not going to follow it. You know, but you don't have to tell a mother of a newborn not to drop kick her baby. Well, I think Why? even now, I mean, but even now <laughs> yeah. like with the coronavirus thing, I think it really puts this to, to, yeah. to great test, which is you, you cannot go, you cannot do any of the things that the government's telling you to do. You cannot yeah, wash exactly. your hands. You could still go out and, and be in public <laughs> and go have parties and do all those things, but you're putting yourself at high risk and not just yourself, yeah. but you're putting also the, your, your, your grandmothers and your friends who have grandmothers <laughs> in high risk as well. So, yeah. so these it's been interesting to think about like all these rules and regulations that have come out just in the last seven days mm. that are, are there to protect us yes. and to protect our society that we're very quick to listen to and say, yes, absolutely. Because we can see that there's a threat that's against us. Yes. But then when it comes to kind of like church moral teaching, we don't look at those mm -hmm. with the same threat when they're actually more of a threat because it's a threat against our soul and against our relationship mm -hmm. with God. Um, mm -hmm. So Oh, my, my brain is hurting. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, uh, I, I just lost my train of thought. So, you know, Avera, what, like, what, like, <laughs> what, what, what other advice would you give to your peers right now who would be listening to you and saying, how do I find that type of peace, um, in, mm -hmm. in that renunciation? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, like I said, I was just on a retreat at, with uh, with Father Josh Johnson mm -hmm. in uh, Santa Ma, Louisiana, and one of the things that he kind of, uh, you know, in our, in our in our friendship, one of the things that he makes sure I focus on is immersing myself in the Word, right? Immersing myself with specific passages that remind me of the fact that God first loved me. You know, that God 
gives gives of himself as a gift, pours himself out completely um, for me, you know, as this individual gift. So immersing myself in that truth. And whenever the evil one tries to combat me with these lies, you know, with with the the culture, you know, that um, I have to do something or that I have to somehow earn it, you know, that, that is a lie. You know, that is a lie of the devil, and we need to uh, essentially send that lie back to hell where it came from, right? You know, where we have to combat that with the truth that I am already delighted in, you know, by virtue of the fact that I have breath in my lungs right now, that I am so, so loved that I am given the gift of my redemption, that Christ has given this gift to me and he has placed it in my hands, like place this gift in my midst. Uh, my only you know, response um, should be to open that gift, you know, because he can put it in my hands all day long. If I don't do anything with it or if I just toss it over my shoulder and forget about it, you know, he, he can't really do very much in, in that scenario. You know, so it is it is putting forth and it is acting upon the very real reality that we are already loved, that we don't have to earn it, that this doesn't mean that we don't put in the work. You know, this doesn't mean that we just kind of stand by passively, but that, you know, we allow ourselves to be loved. We accept that love for ourselves, even if we have to ask for the grace of acceptance, you know, the grace of acceptance of that gift is there if only we ask, you know, but that requires us to open our mouth, to open our hearts and ask, because if we ask, it's given to us. You know, if we seek, we find, if we knock, the door will be opened. That requires some action on our part. And some patience. And <laughs> I, I essentially the, 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 uh, the advice that I would put forth is, you know, again, like, read church teaching, you know, read the the gospels, you know, read what Christ has to say about, uh, and St. Paul has to say about these kinds, these kinds of things. However, if you are not reading, if you don't have the understanding that God loves you, none of that, none of what you're reading, none of what the church says, or what Christ or St. Paul or St. Faustina or St. Therese or whatever, none of that is going to make any sort of sense. If you don't first have the understanding that you are loved beyond anything that you could ever imagine, right? So it has to be in the context of God's commands are sure because he is sure. God's commands are love because he is love. If you don't read it in that context, you've lost the battle already. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. I mean, you know, like at the end of the day, like we have to be connected to the Lord and we have to, and it's a hard, it's a hard journey. You know, life, life is hard and and the cross manifests itself in our lives all very differently. And God allows Mm -hmm. suffering. And it's a theme that I talk about often in my show. My listeners will know that, that, you know, suffering manifests in our life, not, not because God is, is angry with us or because God hates us or, or, or because we have committed some transgression or some sin but that sometimes the cross manifests itself because there has to be some some type of purification that happens mm-hmm. inside of our heart and we have to reassess yes. our priorities and and look at the trajectory of the life that we're taking and then really make some hard decisions and and sacrifice is all part of it i mean there's just no yeah. there's no scenario for anybody where they get everything that they ever want 
you know, it just it just isn't the case. And and we all and we say that and we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's true. But then when you're actually confronted with real sacrifices, you're like, well, you mean I can't just like run up my credit card and not have to pay it off? You know, like I, 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 I can't just move where I want to and have gainful employment. You know, like you just there's no scenario where 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 you get it all. Uh, because that that just isn't a reality for many of us this side of heaven, and that's not to be pessimistic. I'm not a pessimist. I'm I'm very optimistic, but I believe that hope hope manifests in reality because those constraints that are there are, are there for a reason. Like I said earlier, we, we we are all reminded that that hope is real, and and that the limitations that we experience in life are there precisely because God loves us and because God wants us to. To, to, to peer out and find beauty in the midst of those hardships. You know, some of these videos that have come out about Italy and, and you've seen these, like people singing opera to each other in, in, in their yeah, confinements. Absolutely. I mean, like you talk about the human spirit being at its best. I mean, that's just beautiful, right? That no matter what the suffering the is. Light of the, the one candle shines so bright yes. when it's darkest in the area around it, right? Yeah. So, so if, if somebody is listening to this, who does experience a same sex attraction and doesn't know what to do with it, again, a gentle reminder to continue to bring it before the Lord, to receive God's love and grace and mercy in the midst of that desire and to know that he knows that you are experiencing it and that, that we don't know the full answer of that, but, but that, that he has a will and a plan and a purpose for you. And it seems like in your life, Avera, you've taken that and you've, you've turned that into uh, a public ministry. That doesn't mean that that's the same journey for everybody else, but, but that there is some good that, that will come from, from the experience. So yeah, absolutely. a couple final questions here, you know, to, to yeah. the critic, to, to the, to the people who, who think that you're, you're promoting hate speech by, by not encouraging gay marriage. Um, mm-hmm. what, 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 what advice or what counsel would you say to your peers or, or those who, who, who think that you're not far enough on, on, on their side? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just on the, on the, uh, the gay marriage part, um, I, I don't know if, if it knows this as an institution yet, but the United States government is not God. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. I, you, I, you, I, what are you talking I, about? I, what? Avera? I have some catching up to do. What are you saying? Um, it's scandalous. I'm about to bleep you out of the show. What are you? <laughs> it just got profane all of a sudden. <laughs> United States government, whatever country's government is not God. So it does not have the authority to redefine or alter what God himself ordained, right? Marriage is not a right. No one has the right to get married. Marriage is a sacrament. It is so much higher, so much higher than a right. And again, human beings did not create marriage. Therefore, we don't have the authority to say what it is or what it isn't. That right is solely in the hands of the creator. It is solely in the hands of God himself. Now, another example, if we were to change the rules of baseball, tomorrow, or if we were to change how the public school system is run tomorrow, we can do that. We can absolutely do that. Why? Because we have the authority to do so. We as human beings created that. However, it has to be somebody in the position of authority to be able to do that. Like Joe Schmo off the street can't come in and say, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this, this way, because he doesn't have that authority, right? But the people who are in charge, they do have that authority. 
God is the author, is the creator of the sacraments, is the creator of what marriage is. He defines marriage as a union of one man and one woman that ultimately exposes and expresses to us the reality and the beauty of himself, of himself as as Trinity, you know, as himself, as love, as his self, as loving relationship between persons, right? We have no right whatsoever to change that. So that teaching, like, I don't care if it is legal, just because something is legal does not make it moral in the same way that it was once legal to enslave my ancestors for the color of their skin. In this country, that was once legal, but it was never right. It was never moral. So again, we don't have that authority to change that. So I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the law says. It's not going anywhere. However, you know, how, how are we to, especially in the church, how are we to engage with our culture as far as, you know, getting laws changed on what marriage is or any of that. Listen, we can change laws all day long. We can change laws on marriage. We can change laws on abortion. We can change laws on this or on laws on that. But if our hearts don't change, right? You know, if so, so many, I think of of the wars of the problems that exist in our reality today stem from the heart, Stem from the heart of man. If the heart of man does not change, if the heart of man is not transformed, if the heart of man is not directly touched by God because we're so busy trying to guard ourselves from whatever it is that he is trying to do, from whatever way that he's trying to love us, even if it feels like we're being pierced, you know, if we try to hide ourselves from that, the more that we're going to close ourselves off, right? The more that we're going to build those walls and it's going to be harder and harder for us to knock those walls down. So again, like it is preaching, not necessarily just going out and saying the church teaches this. And if you don't change, like all this stuff is going to happen to, you No, we have to invite people into loving relationship. You know, we have to invite people and, and say like, there's something greater here. Right. It's saying uh, one of my favorite scripture verses, right. Is, is in several of the scriptures, but the, the uh, several of the gospels, but the sign of Jonah, Right. Where the queen, the queen of, uh, of Sheba would come against this generation and condemn it because she traveled so long, so far to seek the wisdom of Solomon. And there's something so much greater than Solomon here. Right. There's so much there's something so much greater here. There's so, something so much more profound, you know, so much more that it could transform us. But only if we step in, if we lean in and give it the opportunity because God is not one to force himself on us in any capacity. You know, he is not one to say like, you know, I, I'm going to force my help or, you know, I, I know that I can transform you. So I'm going to force it on you. Absolutely not. It is not the kind of God that he is. He is not going to force his help. He's not going to force his hand, his love, his mercy, any of that. That is up to us whether we accept it or not. And we do not have to accept it. But if it's just coming from my own personal perspective, you know, if it's just coming from me, if you are just hearing the gospel message from me right now, praise be to God first that he's given me the opportunity to do that. But I know what it's like to live without him. And I know what it's like to live with him. 
these stark differences, <laughs> these stark differences in, you know, just my own state of life, my own happiness. You know, not to say that therapy isn't good or, you know, certain medication or psychiatry is not necessary. But, you know, we can't over-spiritualize human needs. We can't over-humanize spiritual needs in the same way. We are both body and soul. So we need to have a good, healthy balance of both. And Christ can enter in, not only through our spirit, but through the hands of our doctors. (laughs) You know, like he has no hands and no feet but ours. You know, so we need to we need to be able to experience God in by every means, and we need to experience His love by every means. And a lot of that is just us coming close to God in order to be like Him. You know, in order to be molded by His hand, in order to be a manifestation of Him on Earth. You know, almost to be like an apparition of Him here on Earth. Yeah. I think that that's part of the, the challenge with, with reaching the culture has been that we started at the beginning of the episode where the, since the church had been silent, a narrative has been spun that mm-hmm. God hates you because you're gay. Yes. And in some degree, the, the, they're very quick to want to raise up the, the, the individuals from Westboro Baptist, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those kind of mentality, that, that type exactly. of mentality, which we're not condoning and I don't agree with in, in the least bit, mm-hmm. but just to say that, that like when that message becomes, if, it's like this juxtaposition has been formed that isn't that isn't real. There's a tension that there that doesn't exist in the Catholic sense. That it's like if you disagree with homosexuality, then you hate gay people, and if you hate gay people, and if you're the church, then God hates you, and that's the message. So if you're an, a young person who is hearing this kind of cultural message emerge, it makes it difficult then right. to approach God because you have been yes. told that God doesn't like this part of you. Not necessarily from the church either, but the church has been silent. Now they're speaking up and you're getting, you're getting better, better, better material kind of coming out, better, better content emerging. But in the mm-hmm. vacuum of that, this, this narrative has been spun and that makes it very difficult to even begin that relationship that you're speaking about yes. because, because you mm-hmm. have this, you have this, this thought or this feeling and then something inside you says, well, then God hates me because of it. God doesn't hate you because of it. God doesn't hate you because you because you you look at pornography. God doesn't hate you because you 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 hooked up with a girl in the backseat of a car. Like God doesn't hate you because of those things. God doesn't hate you God's, point blank. Period. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like that's exactly. So God doesn't. God. It's not that he he doesn't desire these things for you because he knows in the end those aren't things that are going to lead to your fulfillment and happiness. But are you willing mm-hmm. to really submit yourself to him to trust in his providence, yes. to trust in his love and his tenderness and in his care and his goodness? And reorient in your life according to those precepts. But it does, like you've said, it does begin with that relationship. And so I think that's what I would say to anybody, you know, who who's struggling or to even the critics of this, you know, and there comes a point where obviously you, you conversation couldn't go so far. And if, if somebody isn't willing to listen to what I have to say because they already have their their spin and their rebuttal ready to go, then, hey, you know, more power to you. But, but, but we're not having a dialogue, you know, and we're not actually talk, having an exchange of ideas. Yeah. Um, and, and, and all I would ask would be that tolerance extends beyond just to the people that you agree with. That tolerance, if you're going to preach tolerance and you have to preach tolerance across the board, which means that you have to be tolerant yeah. of opinions and ideas that, are, that run contrary to the ones that you hold as well. So, Aver, I, I've been loving our conversation, but we're coming to the end of our time. Um, tell, tell the audience more about just kind of where they can read up about you, where, where can they get more information about you, what, what, you know, if they want to 
see you live yeah. or something? Where, where, where can they go? <laughs> Absolutely. So you can find me on all of my social medias. Um, just search my name on, on Twitter and on Instagram. I think my handle on Twitter is diary four seven six because I was really into the diary of St. Faustina when I made that uh, account. <laughs> and then, uh, it is a Vera Maria Santo on Instagram. And then, uh, if you would like to have me out at a parish event, at a conference, um, to your adult faith formation, youth group, your grandmother's 86th birthday party, um, <laughs> you know, you can reach me, uh, at third millennium media dot com or you can send an email to nick nic at your catholic media.com and inquire to have me out uh, to your event and i i'm so looking forward uh, to everybody that reaches out and that i get to meet uh, on my road toward eternity yeah. awesome all right well last question to ask all my guests avera what gives you hope what gives me hope oh my goodness that's that I am already delighted in already, you know, like it doesn't, it's not based on anything that I've earned. It's not based on any of my merits because I know I have none. Um, what gives me hope is I am, I am delighted in regardless, you know, that God delights in me that, you know, he wants to reveal, um, the beauty of my heart to the nations. Um, you know, regardless of what I've done, regardless of how wounded it is, um, because he knows his power. He knows his love for me as an individual. So no matter how many wounds have scarred me in the past, um, I know that uh, he can turn those wounds into wounds of love all by his hand. Right. And he's so, so so beautiful. He's so loving. And he directs all of that. He channels all of that toward me. I am undeserving, but I am made deserving by him. You know, by the word of his mouth, I deserve it. Uh, I loved, I am delighted in. And what a beautiful message. Amen. <laughs> Wonderful. What a great way of ending the show. Avera, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. You do the same. Well, that's it, everybody. Another amazing episode is done. I pray that this episode has given you some hope and encouragement. If you're somebody who struggles with the same-sex attraction, continue to bring those desires before the Lord. If you have a family member who is struggling with this, please continue to lift them up in prayer. We all have to be supporting one another. And the truth is that regardless of where we are in life, we all have to embrace our limitations and make something beautiful from the life that God has given to us. So if you have enjoyed today's episode, please leave a comment or leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. I'm grateful to be able to receive those and to look at those and to take all that feedback very seriously. So God bless everybody. Have a great day and be good.